Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity Community Church, how are you today? It's good to see everybody. Um, Sometimes I think we forget when it comes to our world today. How many of you would agree that we have darkness in our world? Do you know the problem with our world today doesn't lie with our world? It lies with us. The church has been called to saturate our world with light, with who he is. And when we fail to pray, when we fail to tell people about Jesus, when we fail to be the church, our world grows darker. Do you know that the church is the only mechanism on the planet that God left to deal with darkness? If we don't deal with darkness, nobody else does. And understand this, beloved, darkness is not a person. Darkness is the thing behind the people. We deal with the thing behind the people. We deal with spiritual matters. So I want to encourage you, pray, rise up, be the church. Um, one of the things, a little side note. So we have our community outreach team. So we're in, we have our staff meeting. We're deciding, like, what we're going to call these different teams. So they, you know, community outreach caught. I said, no, no, no. We said, we got to call it the Trinity outreach team, the TOT team. Who would not love to be a TOT I mean, we love tots, tater tots, little kids, call them a tot, love them, right? Maybe we'll change it, we'll see. Um, We're continuing our series today uh, on grace. It's good to see everybody, and uh, I'm excited about learning more about what it means for you and I to exist and to move in God's grace. So we're coming through uh, some busy months. Uh, May's very busy for the Harris household. Uh, We have Mother's Day, and we have two two birthdays. We got two girl birthdays. We got my bonus daughter, McKenna, and, and, and Tori. They're both in May. So we're always looking for unique ways to celebrate birthdays. So Robin comes up to me, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago, about a month ago now. She goes, listen, she goes, we've settled on something for Tori's birthday. She says, we're going to do something, and I need to make sure that you're all in. Now, how many of you know that that's a trap? They got to tell you, if you ask if you're all in, that's a trap. I said, well, honey, you know, I love my daughter. I'm all in. She goes, great. She goes, we're going to take her and do an escape room. Have you ever done an escape room? The last escape room the Harris family did, after we got out of the escape room, which we never finished, it took us about three weeks of family counseling to get everything back together. You know, so I made a vow that day that I would do everything I could to escape from every escape room by never participating in them. So I said, I am not doing an escape room. So we started planning this escape room. And, uh, and she goes, but there's one more nugget you need to know. I said, what's the nugget? She goes, well, it's a themed escape room. I said, well, that's fine. They're all themed. She goes, yeah. She goes, this is a pirate theme. I said, you mean like the Pittsburgh Pirates? She goes, no, no, like the ARG Pirates. I said, that's fine. I don't care. I'll just show up. She goes, well, there's one other nugget you need to know. I said, what's that? She says, we are getting dressed up like pirates to do this thing for Tori because she's worth it. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what your closet looks like, I don't have a section in my closet that says piratey. You know what I mean? So I started digging around, and, and I actually I came up with, with this, which isn't bad. It's like a fusion. I got cowboy boots on and all kind of other stuff. And this is, this is all of us. This is us. Tyler, I don't know what's going on with Tyler. I don't know if he's seasick. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, and then this is us. And, and this is crazy. We actually defeated the escape room. We had like seven minutes left. And... Uh, Hello, bring it in here. Let's go. 
and we were still talking to each other, and it was great. And, and I realized, and I know this is bad because it's going to be on video forever, I actually enjoyed myself a little bit. Now, we had some hairy moments. You know, there's one moment we're in there, and there's different rooms, and, and they're looking for certain numbers for combinations, and Toby is just yelling out, like, random numbers, 17, 92, and one of the girls is like, will you just shut up, and they're doing all this stuff, and I kind of got to the back, and even though it was dicey, and, and a few times they're like, just back up, you're too old, you can't figure this stuff out, and I'm like, I'll just stand here against the wall, you know, I'll just do my stuff. Even though it got hairy, and it was rough, at no point in our escape room experiment did I ever feel like they were kicking me out of the family. At no point did I ever feel like I didn't belong because we were doing this thing together. That's grace. Grace is understanding that you belong. When we came to Christ, one of the benefits of grace, one of the benefits of knowing Jesus is belonging. And sometimes I think we, we, we walk that thing so fragile. We think if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, if I think the wrong thing, they're going to kick me out. I'm never going to come back in. And grace doesn't work like that. It doesn't. The kingdom doesn't work like that either. The kingdom of God, the family of God is not that fragile, beloved. It's not. But sometimes we think it is. Do you know why? Some of you have tasted that from other churches. You said the wrong thing. You've done the wrong thing. And they've given you the left foot of fellowship. It's good. If you've had that experience, I'm sorry. Please forgive us. That's not the heart of God, and that's not our heart, our heart here at Trinity either. Our heart is to love God and people extravagantly. Our heart is to be part of the kingdom, and our heart is to belong together. And we can't do any of that stuff apart from God's grace. Part of us receiving and understanding His grace is understanding that um, this thing that he's given us, this family, is, is, is a gift. Grace is a gift. And it's like any other gift. We don't strive for the gift. We receive the gift. We enjoy it and we celebrate the gift. So we're starting this new series. Pastor John Belay was here last week. And he did a phenomenal job of setting everything up for us. Uh, giving us the foundation of what it looks like for us to receive grace. You cannot give away what you don't have. So in order for you to work in grace and for churches to work in grace, you have to be willing to receive grace. A lot of times churches struggle with grace because they don't understand how to receive it. But all of us have received grace. And John said this, grace is not a one-time thing. It's foundational for all of us that are believers. So then here's the next question. Once we receive God's grace, once he comes and he knocks on our door and he offers us the gift of grace, what is our proper response? What is the response of grace? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, if you got your Bibles, flip to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's a very supernatural book. It's a life-changing, transformative book. It's alive, but it's also super practical. Everything you do, beloved, in life will produce fruit. God gave us fruit so that we can see the inner work that's happening inside of us. So again, we have in this passage ways fruit that you could say of how grace is working inside of us if we are responding properly to grace or not. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Everybody say all. Grace is not just for a select few. Salvation is not just for a select few. We believe that everybody is given the opportunity to be saved. 
John 3.16, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever is us. So this is available to all of us, salvation and grace. Verse 12 says this, it teaches us, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you know it's tough to live godly lives in this present age? This present age is kind of bananas. So again, everything we do, it bears fruit. So what is the fruit of our proper response to grace when God engages us with it? First is this, and, and know this. As a believer, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, you have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. To operate in grace and to live the life that God wants you to live as a believer, you have to be teachable. If you're not teachable, God can't use you. If you're not teachable, you can't grow. If you're so rigid, you can't grow. It's kind of, have you ever thought of our bodies are amazing? God put the skeleton, our skeleton on the inside, right? So that we could grow and there's muscles and, you know, some of you have muscles mixed with chunky goodness. We'll call it that. And what's cool about our, our, our skeleton is it kind of grows with you. How many remember when you were a kid you had growing pains? Growing pains in the knees and stuff like that? Can you imagine if our skeleton was on the outside? What would happen? If our skeleton was on the outside and it didn't grow with us, what would happen to you? It would stunt your growth. It would be rigid and you would be confined to certain things. When you're unteachable, that's exactly what it's like. You need to be teachable so that you can grow. All of us grow in our faith. Do you remember the day that you gave your heart to Christ? Everything was brand new. Everything was exciting, wasn't it? You didn't know anything. You just knew you had this feeling inside of you, and, and you just you had to feed this thing inside of you. You thought you knew how to pray, but then you give your heart to Christ. You're like, I really don't know if I know how to pray. I don't know if I know how to worship. I don't know, how I, you know if I know how to read the Word. And, and you were like a sponge, and you were open to everything. Why were you open to so much stuff? Well, you just, you just didn't know it yet. You didn't know what, what you didn't know. Christianity was fun, and God could do anything. Remember when God could do anything? It's fun being naive. I, I think one of, the, um, one of the beautiful privileges of being a father, you know, as a father, we get to protect our children. As a father, we get to lead and pour into our children. As a father, we have the divine appointment of messing with our children, right? Um, I remember we were at a, uh, I was doing a, a wedding in Wisconsin. It was weird. It was a lumberjack wedding. Have you ever done a lumberjack wedding? I have. And it was, the, the girl was from Wisconsin and the kid was from Washington State. He was a lumberjack. So they did it outside and they flew in salmon that her family had caught, or his family had caught. That was the main meal and it was ridiculous. So you had all these guys in all this flannel and all these things and, and I'm doing the wedding. There's probably 150 of us there. And I saw this. My family's there and I saw, you know, my son Toby was just starting to get a little bit older. He was like that 13 to 14-year-old. How many of you remember and you've encountered a 13 to 15-year-old boy? You know, and they're kind of fun to look at because they talk to you and their voice goes up and down because things are changing and their body's changing. They want to show you that they are becoming a man. So I remember Toby was sitting next to me and he's looking at all these guys and he's flexing in every surface he can find. And uh, I said, hey, man, I said, um, I said, did anybody talk to you about the feats of strength? He goes, the what? I said, the feats of strength. Because you're just making that up. I said, I'm your father. Would I make anything up? 
The answer is yes, we do. I, I go, well, I said, you may not know about it. It's a lumberjack thing. I said, at the end of our big meal, I said, they do these feats of strength. It's just what lumberjacks do. He's like, well, what do they do? He said, they do all kinds of stuff. They, they pick up big, large logs. They throw them. They pick up big stones. They throw them. They carry them over great distances. I said, it's a high honor. And I said, if you can compete and, and, and you know, hold your, your, your water on this thing, I said, your status as a dude is just going to go through the roof. And, of course, I had already peppered a few of my buddies through the crowd to tell them about the feats of strength. And Toby's like, so you think I can compete? I'm like, not only can you compete, I think you could win. He's like, the feats of strength, you think? I, th I think so. Then he goes, no, you're lying. I said, I wouldn't lie. Ask somebody. So he'd ask all of our friends, oh, yeah, the feats of strength, they're coming. So <laughs> the rest of our dinner, Toby is getting limber. He's stretching. He's picking things up and down to prepare himself for the feats of strength that he doesn't know is going to happen at any moment in the, in the wedding thing. So we're there. And we, Dad, is it time for the feats of strength? Now give it about 10 more minutes. The foods are digested, blah, blah, blah. So we go through the whole thing, and as we're getting ready to leave for the night, he looks at me and goes, there's no feats of strength, are there? I said, no, but we had a great day, didn't we? Right? He didn't talk to me for like a, a day, but it was a nice day, actually. He didn't talk to me at all. Do you remember as a believer when you'd open the pages of the Bible and you were crazy enough to believe that what happened in those pages could happen in your life today? Do you remember the stories? The miracles? You read about the miracles of Jesus. You read the book of Acts and you see these incredible things. Do you remember when you first gave your heart to Christ and you really believed that God could do anything? He was the God of the impossible. You believe he could do anything. Let me ask you a question. What happened? When did it change? What happened to you when you believed everything? Do you know what happened? You got smarter. You learned more stuff. And you know what happened? The church gave you this beautiful gift of religious knowledge and understanding of all the things that God can't do. Now, we don't come right out and preach it. But sometimes you can learn what a church is about by the things they don't talk about. Hello? The opportunities that God doesn't have to move. You can tell or not if a church believes in divine healing if they make room in the services for people to be healed. You can tell exactly what they believe when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous by the lack thereof opportunities for the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. But this is the classic problem with sometimes us as we grow in our faith. We enter our faith through the door of grace and belief. And the second good inside, we... Uh, we abandon those things. And in, in its place, we pick up our knowledge and all of the things that we've learned how to do. And you know what we end up doing? Instead of worshiping a God that we've been created in his image, we bring him to our level, and the God we serve is a God that we create in our image. Weak, powerless, and a little boring. And this is why we struggle with our faith, because sometimes the God we serve isn't God at all. We start to build our own faith by our own works, and then something happens. The more you do things on your own, the more pride starts to rise in your heart and in your life. Pride takes the place of grace in your heart. And this is the thing that pride brings you. Pride makes us rigid and unteachable. 
Well, I already know that stuff. No, I already figured it out. This is how we do things. This is how we do it, right? How many times have you heard that song in church? Maybe we don't sing it, but we say it, right? When that happens, pride pushes teachableness away. And if you're unteachable, God can't use you. Proverbs 11.2 says this about pride. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If you want to learn, you want to be teachable, humble yourself. Proverbs 15.32 says this. Whoever ignores instruction, uh, instruction despises himself, but whoever listens to reproof gains intelligence. As believers, we always have to have a posture of teachability. When we're teachable and open to the Holy Spirit, God can do more than just expand us. He can also trust us with his heart. And if he can trust you with his heart, he can trust you with his wisdom and his power to change the world. Why don't we see God's power displayed in the world today? Do you think God is a power issue? Do you think he's like, what did I do with my stuff? He's waiting on us. This is what Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 says. It says, it was God that, uh, but uh, it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Look at verse 12. And we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know wonderful things that God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. If you want to grow in your understanding of who, who God is, if you want to grow in grace, if you want to change the world, you need to be teachable so the Spirit can expand you, so the Spirit can use you. So our first response to God's beautiful grace is to be teachable. Look at the passage. Let's keep going. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Ungodliness, that's an interesting word. So what does it mean to be godly? When you think of godly, what do you think of? Do you think of maybe, if you're old like me, do you think of this lady? Or a dude that looks like a lady? How many of you remember the church lady? Everything bad came from who? Mm, Satan, right? That's special, right? How many of you went to a church and there was a lady just like this at your church? Is this what you think of when you think of somebody that's supposed to be godly? So the way the assemblies are from a denominational standpoint, when we were formed, we were forged as a holiness movement. That means this. We had these rules and regulations that you could do. Like, for example, women were, I don't think even guys were, they were not allowed to wear the color red. Do you know why? The devil wears the color red. We have photographic evidence. We don't. Couldn't wear red. Women couldn't. You know, they couldn't wear pants. They had to wear skirts and, and stuff like that, or long dresses. They couldn't use makeup. They couldn't have jewelry. It's kind of funny. The women had to do all the stuff, right? That's another sermon for another day, right? There were certain places they couldn't go. One of the places they couldn't go was a movie theater. If you were back in that day and you went to a movie theater and Jesus were to come back and blow that trumpet, you would be like a milk dud stuck to the carpet. You ain't going nowhere. So I remember as in one of our churches, and how many remember the movie The Passion of the Christ when it came out? The Passion of the Christ came out, so we were taking all the church to go see The Passion of the Christ. And I had this one older elder that would not go. He said, Pastor TJ, I'm not going to a movie theater. That's the devil. The devil's in the popcorn. The devil's in the soda. I am not going to a thing. So you know what he did? 
He bought a bootleg copy of The Passion of the Christ. It was still in the movie theaters. Invited all of his friends, and he had them watch in the living room. I said, man, you bought an illegal copy of a movie. Now, I don't know what, what you know, video, when you break the law from a video thing, what sends you to, 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 to hell. But you got to think a bootleg copy about Jesus Christ has got to be top of the list, right? <laughs> and I told him, this is illegal. You can see the Chinese subtitles. He didn't even care. Is that what you think of when you think of holiness? When you think of godliness, what does it mean to be godly? So this word, don't be ungodly. The Greek word there is asebia, which actually means this. You ready for this? It means to, to not show honor, to not give honor to, to fail to give God honor. So what does it mean to, to fail to give God honor? It means this. When you fail to give God what he requires of us and what he desires of us, when you fail to give him that honor, that's what it means to be ungodly. So the question is this. Do you honor God by doing the things that he asks you to do in your life? What do you do with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Because those are the big ones, aren't they? What do you do? How do you feel when you ask your children to do something and they don't do it? How do you feel when they tell you they're going to do it, but they still don't do it? Heads will roll. When the trash is still there, you could hear the truck coming down the thing, and you know, the kids miss the trash again. Dad, I'm so sorry. I'll get it next time, and next time, and they're sleeping. And oh, here we go. Do you honor God? If you don't honor God by doing what he asks of you, that's what it means to, to, to be ungodly. Grace, the proper response for us to grace is to simply do what God asks you to do. When you commit your life and your, and, you know, and, and your hearts to honoring God's word, you become godly. Now, I, I know that when you, when you talk about, you know, you know, when you look at serving God and loving God, sometimes that could be a daunting task. Because that's a big list, isn't it? Well, God, what do I do? I mean, I could do this. I have to make sure I do this, blah, blah, blah. And you can kind of get overwhelmed sometimes. Now, just so you know, in Jesus' day, it was no different. In fact, it was even worse. They had the Ten Commandments. And then for every letter in the Ten Commandments, they had another law that they had to, to uphold in order to please God. Back in Jesus' day, you know, there were certain things. You could not wear a certain type of blended fabric. There are certain things you couldn't eat. One of my favorite, favorite, most favorite passages in the Bible is when Peter had his vision. And he saw this sheet descend out of heaven. And inside the sheet were all these unclean, delicious animals, like pig and lobster and things. And Peter, he said, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I will not kill and eat. And he says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And behold, we have barbecue. Pulled pork, may Jesus be praised. Hallelujah, may Jesus be praised. Thank you for the vision. So they had all these things that they had to keep. So where do you start? What do you do? So that was the question of one of these young, smart, you know, religious people who went to Jesus and said, Jesus, he said, of all these things, all the commandments and all the stuff that we got to keep, what, you know, what's your top five list? What's the top list? And this is Jesus' response. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
This is the first and the greatest commandment. And look at 39. And second is equally important. Everybody say equally. It's not love God and love everybody else. It doesn't, it, this is what equal looks like, right? Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you want to live a godly life, a life that honors God, start with love. Love him. Is, do you think it's a coincidence that when you have our little bands of our big three, what's the first word in our big three? Love. We love God and people extravagantly. If you're going to get one thing right, get love right. Get it right. We love God and we love people extravagantly. If you want to start to honor God, start with love and let him expand from there. So to be godly means to honor God. Look at the passage again. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions. This is another concept for us that we just kind of get jumbled up, worldly passions. And just so you know, you know, people go to school for different things. When I went to school to do this, we learned Greek and Hebrew and all these things. The Bible is not written in the King James Version of the Bible. I have people tell me, Pastor, we need that original King James Version. That's not the original version of the Bible. It's not. The Bible is written in Hebrew, written in Greek. We have some Aramaic in there too. And sometimes the Hebrew and the Greek doesn't translate to English perfectly, so we do the best that we can. So when you see this worldly passions, you know, what do you think of when you think of worldly passions? Uh, a few weeks ago, we showed uh, the Jesus Revolution movie here. How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution? If you haven't seen it, seen it, it's ridiculous. And we made it like a movie theater. That one elder would have, like, died. He would have died. We had candy out there. We had popcorn. It was great. And, and it's, I'm not a big Christian movie guy, but this was a good, good Christian movie. It had all kind of stuff in there. And, and there was, it's basically, it's a love story. It's, all, it's like, they kind of, Robin said they kind of hid like a Hallmark movie in there, which I was like, ah, because I try to stay away from those too. Um, so there's a few scenes in the movie where, where the, there's a couple and they, they actually kiss. So we had a group of like, like little like, like young guys that were up here. And every time like these kids are like, I don't know, 9, 10 years old, every time they see kissing, they go, ah, ah, make it stop, ah. You know, it was like the worst thing ever. Now, in about three years, that's all going to change. But right now, it's real, you know, icky and there's cooties and there's all that other stuff. Is that what worldly passions is? You know, when the kids are, are smooching, is that, is that what it is? Is that what the text is talking about? No. The Greek word here for, for passions is epithome, which actually means this, your desire or your affections. So to have worldly passions means this, to place your affection on things that are valuable in the world as opposed to things that are valuable in the kingdom. That's what it means to have worldly passions. You've placed value, your affections, on things that are temporary rather than things that are eternal. Now, thank God we never have this problem in the church where we screw up our value system. If you want to know what your value system is, you, know, you have to look at just two things. Look at your calendar and look at your checkbook. That'll tell you what's important in your life. Your calendar and your checkbook. Some of you are like, Pastor, that's mean. It's not mean, it's just real. That tells you what you think is what's important to you. I mean, you know, if, if all the time, if you fit God in every once in a while, 
He's not the prime directive. He's not the center. There's, a, there's an issue with that. Something else is the center. And I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you that's, that's how you live your life from a 30,000-foot view if I just look at that. If you look at your checkbook and, and it's all built on, on stuff that's here and temporary now, if there's no investment into the kingdom, and I'm not even talking about the church. I'm just talking about in the kingdom. There's a challenge. Every time I talk about money, people lose their mind. Pastor, you're talking about money again. You hate me. I don't hate you. And understand this, I don't care what you do with your money. God doesn't care about your money. You know what he cares about? Your heart. What you do with your money is an indication of what's going on in your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So be careful. Make sure your affections are tied to eternal things, not temporary things. We have these little trinkets. They, 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 they garner our attention. Some, I mean, sometimes there's nothing wrong with them, but when they take precedent in your life and they're not built in the kingdom, they're just going to waste away. I, I have come to this understanding, this conclusion. Almost all of the things in my life that are precious to me that are not breathing living things, at some point my children will take to Goodwill or have a yard sale and get rid of, they'll, they'll get rid of all of it. Robin, so one of her, her love languages is garage sales. I know there's five. We're going to add a sixth one, garage sale. So usually on a Saturday, her and I are out garage sailing, and it's usually me trying to, to look happy as I'm in other people's garages buying other people's junk that will soon become my junk. So, you know, I'm with her two Saturdays ago. We walk up to this one garage sale, and my ears go up because it's got, like, really cool dude stuff. There's a whole table of like fishing poles, lures, uh, duck, uh, 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 duck decoys. And the guy had a whole table of, there, there's a table of BB guns, old BB guns. I'm looking at stuff, old license plates, like this is the coolest thing ever. And I'm looking at stuff and Robin's finally like he's happy. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, this is great. And I'm picking stuff up. Robin, I get this. She put it down. No, no. You know, she can get anything she wants, but I can't get my stuff. And I'm talking there and I notice that, that there are two sisters that are doing the, the yard sale. They're probably in their mid-30s. So I asked one of the girls, I said, where'd you get all this cool stuff? And the girl goes, yeah. She goes, um, well, my dad died. And we get to clean out the house. So, um, you know, he loved all this stuff. So how about uh, I'll give you all these BB guns for like 10 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy probably had this stuff displayed. He probably oiled it. Probably, you know, did like the whole Ralphie thing. Okay, Black Bart, you know what I mean? And did all this stuff. And his daughters are selling it. At a yard sale, you know, buy one, get 10 free. <laughs> Where are your affections anchored to? Things that your kids will sell at a yard sale? Do you know the house you live in? Somebody else is going to live in that house. It's not yours forever. The only thing that you have and I have that's eternal is people. What do you sow into? Look at this little thing we do with all the kids, and I, I've told them this, I probably... I should keep my mouth shut, but I do. Any kid, teenager that's going on a missions trip, I don't care who you are, we support you. Personally, as a family, we support you. Why? It's eternal. It'll change your life or somebody else's life that you're going to come into contact with. If that means that I need to not have Starbucks because you're going to change somebody on the other side of the world, so be it. Because I work at the well. <laughs> and Starbucks stinks anyway. <laughs> right? Where are your affections? Are they anchored in the kingdom? And if they're anchored in the kingdom, what is valuable to God 
as opposed to what would be valuable to the world. Well, I'm glad you asked. If you got your Bibles, flip, flip over to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 15. Jesus gives us a window into the value system of the kingdom. This is a cool passage. Luke 15.1 says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. By the way, uh, if you ever, if people ever struggle because you keep company with people that don't know Jesus so that you could be light and darkness, I have one thing that you can tell them. Where are you supposed to, where are candles supposed to exist? In darkness. We have this thing where we separate ourselves from the world. We can be in the world and not be of the world. Right? Be in the world, don't be of the world. And by the way, too, do you know the people that had the problem with Jesus hanging out with people that were not churchy people? Churchy people. People like me. People like you. Be careful. Be careful. Don't forget the core mission. What is the core mission? Well, Jesus goes on to that. Look at verse 3. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, will he not joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And look at verse 7. This is cool. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you want to see a party in heaven, if you want to know a kingdom value system, invest it in seeking and saving the lost. Now, here's one of our challenges as a church. We spend 95% of our energy making sure everybody in here is comfortable. You're already here. Now, that's, that's not true for us. I don't know if you know this. We give 10% of our budget right off the top to missions. That means, you know, 10% to missions, and then we have other outreach events too. I would probably say we're probably, 80% of our budget probably goes toward you. And I think you're delightful. Does heaven break into party when you come to church on a Sunday. I mean, I'm sure God's like, that's my boy, that's my lady. But our core mission is Jesus' core mission, to seek and save the lost, to see them come. Remember a few weeks ago, you thought you were off the hook when I said you, you had an assignment to share the gospel with one person? How'd that go? Were you terrified? Did you get stomach cramps? I can't do it. You can, and you have to. Because that's the mission. It's only about the mission. That's the mission. If it doesn't happen, we die. Right? Grace teaches us that we have a different value system than the world. So where do your passions lie? Are you willing to take a hard look at your time, your talent, and your treasure? If you take a hard look at that and you present that before the Holy Spirit, he'll show you. What's your passion about? Now, this is a wonderful, beautiful thing about grace. Grace does not lock you in so there's no movement and there's no, there's no changing. Grace gives us the power to transform and to be more like Jesus. So you can lay that all before God and you can say, God, will you help me 
to have my heart invested in the kingdom, not just on temporary things in the world. So do me a favor. Just shut your eyes for a second. Let's just pause. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Say, Holy Spirit, are my affections rooted in you, in the kingdom, or is it something else? Am I, am I, am I too influenced and connected by the world? What keeps you up at night? Knowing that people haven't heard about Jesus or other temporary things. Let's keep going. Look at the passage. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What do you think of when you see the word self-control? You know, self-control, you know, so, you know, do you experience and engage in self-control, you know, when you stop at the creamery on the way home? In your head, I'm just going to get, you know, I'm just going to get a scoop of sugar-free sherbet. That's all I'm going to get. And by the time you get in line, and you all know, the, you know, you know I'm talking about Woodside, right? When a lady comes, can I take your order? You're thinking, sugar-free sherbet, sugar-free sherbet. And somehow that comes out like this. I would like chocolate and chocolate chip cookie dough on a waffle cone. Thank you. Does self-control mean you get the sugar-free sherbet? No. What do you think of when you hear the word self-control? Do you think of Rocky Four? You know when Rocky's training to fight the big Russian? Ivan Dragon, he's lifting up things and he's running up mountains. Is that what self-control is? You think of Bruce Lee and these guys fighting and training their bodies? So the Greek word there for self-control is sophronos, which actually means this. Ready for this? To be sober-minded and to think clearly. Has anybody in this room ever not been soberly-minded? Maybe you've been altered by a thing or two? I've always, to me, alcohol has always been funny because alcohol is one of those things that amplifies Things are inside of people, and they think, you know, when I'm drinking, I'm better. Let me just let you on the secret. You're not. You think you're funnier. You're not. I'm so witty. You're not. Right? Especially when we're picking you up off the ground. If anything, it alters your mind, and you can't see clearly. So this word for self-control means to be sober-minded, to see clearly. Grace gives you the ability to see things clearly. When you see things clearly, you are steady. You see things and you're not, you're not rocked by things. Grace in the life of a believer is not herky-jerky. You don't have it and lose it and have it and lose it and have it and lose it. That's cheap grace. That's not what God gives us. God does never, he never gives you a cheap, a cheap gift. Grace doesn't freak out. The response of grace, we don't have chicken little Christians. The sky's falling, the sky's falling. That's not what grace is. Grace is steady when everybody else is losing their minds. Why? Because we see clearly. We're sober-minded. We understand that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's always, always, always in control. In fact, when you understand what grace is and we respond properly, grace does this beautiful thing for us. It, It It matures us. It makes our foundation stronger. And we can see a chaotic world around us and still be steady. This is more than just having self-control so you could be a good Christian. God doesn't give us gifts just so we could be good. Be a good Christian. Don't create any waves and and I'll see you when I get back. Parents that go on on dates do that, right? 
Grace and the Holy Spirit give us the ability to trust and to see things as they are and also to see things as they could be. That's the ability for us as believers. When you're deep and you're mature in your faith, you just, you just see things differently. There's something about being mature. I remember our, our church in Denver, we, um, I thought I was being funny one day. We had an older church. So I said, man, I said, I'm getting older now. I said, I'm 40 years old now. And one of my older ladies, Gladys, who was like 88, she goes, this is the middle of my talk. She goes, 40? Big deal. She goes, I have clothes older than you. And she dressed like she did. And the older ladies there were great because I'd come to them with these fantastic problems, and they would laugh at me. I had like 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds, and they say, Pastor, we did that 50 years ago. You'll be fine. It'll be okay. I, one, Miss Mary was great. She'd always say, don't listen to old coots like us. Do what God's telling you to do. She said, we're going to die soon. And, I, and she's still alive. <laughs> she's, she's like 100 and like 100. I don't know, 100 whatever it is. You know what gives you the ability to do that? Maturity. Grace matures. Self-control, you can see things soberly. 1 Corinthians 14 says this. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. You got to grow up, beloved. We got to grow up. Some of the things that drive us nuts as a church, that bug us, that make us fight against each other, stop it. Grow up. Let it go. Let it go. Let's finish this up. Look at the passage again. We've got two more things. To be upright. What does it mean to be upright? Simple. means this. To live and to have your heart in alignment with God's heart. Here's the point. You can go to church. You can read all the books. You can even memorize scripture and not have your heart in alignment with God's heart. So how on earth can you and I make sure that our heart stays in alignment with God's heart? Well, you can find the little formula in Psalm 37.4. Now, this is weird. Let me tell you why it's weird. This is a passage of Scripture everybody knows, but nobody really knows what it means. You've probably seen this on a Christian greeting card. Maybe you have a pillow that has this inside the pillow, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Some of you have memorized it, right? What does it mean to delight yourself into something? You ever thought about that? Delight yourself. You know, every once in a while in the Harris house, Robin looks at me and she's like, why? Why? Why do you speak? Why do you think that's funny? I think I'm delightful. Sometimes she does not think that. What does it mean to be delightful? What does it mean to delight yourself? Ready for this? The Greek word for delight means this, to be soft and pliable. Have you ever prayed something and it didn't come to pass? And you look at verses like this and you're like, but Lord, you said delight yourself in the Lord and you give me the desires of my heart. Why didn't you give me the desire of my heart? Because we don't understand the passage. Look at it again now. Delight yourself, Lord. Be soft and pliable. If, you, if your heart is soft and pliable in the hands of God, if your heart is, is pliable in the Lord, ask anything and I'll give it to you. Why? Because he is control of your heart. Your hearts are united. What he wants, you want. It's a whole lot easier to pray for things that God wants because you know it's already blessed than it is trying, oh, Lord, I really need that Mercedes. Not in God's heart. Does that passage make more sense now? When you're soft and pliable in the hands of God, you delight in him. 
You're yielded to the Holy Spirit, and he can trust you with more of his power. It all comes down to alignment. If you were to do one thing, one thing right in your life, pray every day for God to keep you in alignment with his heart. If you do that, everything will be fine. What's Matthew 6.33 say? Delight. What does it, it say? It says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. You make him first, he'll take care of everything else. But he's got to be first. You have to be in alignment with him. Here's the question. Are you pliable to the hands of the Father? Are you yielded to the Spirit? If you are, he'll keep you in relationship with him, and you'll be right on track. Let's finish this up. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This Greek word for godly lives, eusebos, which actually means this, to have an inward reverence. This is more than looking good on the outside. For years in the church world, we worried about the outside, but we really didn't care about the inside. God looks at the heart. We look at the heart. Grace one of the things grace does, grace just doesn't cover things up. Grace gives you the power for inward transformation. It just doesn't cover up your shortcomings. It changes you. Grace is supposed to change you. You cannot be a believer and stay the same. We're different. We had, um, I had one of our guys come up today, and he went to a festival at one of the churches here in town a couple days ago. I said, was it cool? Of course, the first thing I asked was, what, did, what food did they have? What did you eat? He goes, oh, the food was great. He goes, but pastor, he goes, it was weird. I said, why was it weird? He goes, well, it was just different. So how was it different? He goes, well, they had like a beer garden. They had all this weird, like, like bad, bad music playing. And it was just like drunk people. It was just crazy. He says, I thought back about like what we do. He says, we don't do any of that stuff. He says, and he's like, he's like it's almost like we've got different goals. I said, well, Maybe. He said it was just different because it was almost like I'm different now and I can't just do that anymore. You know what we call that? Transformation. Transformation. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that's, I'm not saying 80s music is bad. It's way better than the music today. I'll just say that right now. But there's something inside of you that says, son, daughter, that, that's, not, that's not who you are anymore. 2 Corinthians 3 says this. Even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with a veil, and they don't understand. Do you remember back in the day when you'd hear about this stuff, but you didn't understand it? Maybe you're in a different church. I was in the Greek Orthodox Church, and they read Scripture all the time, and they'd read Scripture, and I would just check out. Maybe you're in the Catholic Church. Maybe you're in a Baptist Church. Maybe you're in a church like this, and none of it made sense, and then, then something happened. You know, verse 16 happened. It says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Do you remember the day when everything was like, oh my gosh, it makes sense. Verse 17 says this, for the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us that have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Grace transforms us. Our response of grace in our life is transformation. He loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. So just to recap, when we respond to God's grace, we know how to receive it. We talked about that last week. When we respond to God's grace, this is the fruit that is in our lives. First, we're teachable. 
We're open to God speaking to us. Second, we honor God with what we do. We give him honor. We do what he asks us to do. What he requires of us, what he requests of us. Our affections are kingdom focused, not just earthly focused. We are self-controlled, sober-minded. We see things clearly. We're upright. Our hearts are aligned with his. And we are godly, which means this, our hearts are yielded to him. Does this sound like you? If it doesn't, it could. What I want you to do is this. This is not a list you can go back and say, okay, now, okay, I checked that off. Okay, now I check this off. Okay. That's not how this works. You have to be more yielded to the Spirit. And little by little, you'll grow in grace. So bow your heads with me. We're going to take communion in a second. You talk about someone that was yielded to the heart of the Father. That was Jesus. I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit and ask Him. Say, Holy Spirit, how am I doing with all these things? And just go down there, and if God pings something in your heart, listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.